there was some like e-fit that was developed by the police and it was basically an egg with side partings <laughs> and that's what it was it was literally a circle with some hair on top we got an e-fit guys this is the person who stole your child egg. <laughs> just an egg hello welcome back to two pals on a pod episode 23 we're back for one of the biggest missing child cases of all time someone who isn't missing it's Toby, he's back. I've longed to hear those words again. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's amazing to be back and uh, out of the eye of the storm, very busy with work recently. And now I'm back. I and he's know. here. And he's here just in time for, like I say, one of the biggest cases of all time. I see it's, it's a big kind of um, where were you moment. It's true. Like it's one of the biggest cases of all time it was this family went to Portugal in 2007. Just a nice, just a chill out kind of vibe, just the summer holidays or whatever, get away from all the stress of life. And, you know, they found themselves in one of the worst possible situations, a situation no parent wants to be in. And it, that's the whole, the whole story played on this sort of parental fear of losing your kids, didn't it? That was how it played out in the media to begin with. Yeah, exactly. And I think that they were pretty, you know, quick off the bat in terms of, from what I remember reporting at the time, they were out in front of the cameras straight away pleading. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the main problems that a lot of people have with this case in particular is the sheer amount of resources that this case has been given, even in 2013 and 2017, like new lump sums from, from Scotland Yard were provided for it, you know, probably at the expense of, of other missing kids out there. You know, the ones that, like you said, you actually don't hear about, like the vast majority of them you don't hear about. So I think there's an argument to be made, you know, looking at why has this stayed in the news for so long compared to other cases? I've often wondered that myself. And I, I always wondered, maybe there's something more that we're not being told. Is there some sort of link to some sort of child uh, abuse ring kind of thing going on? And they're trying to uncover that. Is that why it's got so much money? Like, it's really difficult to tell. Obviously, a lot of people have thought, well, this is a middle class family. Are they getting more resources because of that? And other families aren't getting those resources. So this is a case that's rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way as well, with how long it's gone on, with it going on for so long and taking up so much money and resources that it's quite a divisive case isn't it so there's a lot of people who are certain that this is the, the family the parents that have done it and then there's other yeah. people who are sort of like well it's you know you wouldn't have thought it would be if they're making such a big deal out of it if you've done a crime like this you probably don't want to draw attention to it so we're going to go through like all these different things right from the start so i think we should start from like the the very beginning of this holiday they're nearly yeah. a week into the holiday at this point at like 8 30 they arrive at the tapas restaurant uh, at 9pm, uh, Matt Oldfield um, basically was, he walked past their apartment and said everything was quiet outside, which again, is sort of like an un unusual like thing to note. I don't know whether he said that at the time or whether he said it afterwards, I'm not sure. Um, but he apparently said it was all quiet outside. At five minutes past nine, Jerry then makes the first check on his children uh, through an unlocked patio door. Now, this idea of the patio door being unlocked, it's like, oh God. And, and when they start saying things like, well, to us, it was just like being in our back garden. And, you know, we just <laughs> we could see that the apartment, so the kids are safe. Uh, the unlock patio door thing. Oh, yeah, I think, you know, there is a, there's, I said that there was a lot of, there's a lot of negligence, parental negligence involved in this. And I think, like, it's hard to explain the layout of the hotel, but I think there's a couple of important details uh, about the relation of the tapas restaurant to the apartment in the sense that getting between the tapas restaurant and the apartment did in fact involve walking on a public street where the, apart the apartment overlooked and then walking through the resort and across the pool. But it was about 55 metres, which isn't that long. And obviously people will pull it apart if your child goes missing. 
and it's the most reported upon missing persons case in history, obviously. I don't think we should be too harsh on that. But the one thing for me is that from the restaurant, you apparently couldn't see the doors to the apartment. You could see the top of the apartment, but not the doors to the apartment. So I think that's negligence for me. And I, you know, I empathize, but I would put myself in that in that situation and think I just wouldn't be comfortable, especially because the patio door was unlocked because it could only be locked from the inside. So bearing all that in mind, I don't think, and I'm a pretty laid back guy, but I don't think that I would be able to, to you know, have my patatas bravas with a clear conscience and, you know, not worrying about what might go on when you can't even see the doors to your unlocked apartment, which has your three kids in, you know? Yeah, I think just it's also being in a foreign country as well. Like, you, I, I don't know about you, but I'm always a little bit more sort of on edge because you don't know the area and it's not where you're from you don't know the area you don't necessarily know the the surroundings or, or anything like that it's a foreign place to, to leave your child in an unlocked apartment it's just one of those things where a lot of people just can't forgive in the case i mean they, they feel horrifically sorry for madeline and upset about you know obviously madeline going missing but the parents themselves they just a lot of people don't really have a lot of empathy for them even though they've lost yeah. their child it's like the actions like the, that you did before then sometimes people really struggle to empathize with the parents i think at times during the, the early years in particular of this case didn't they yeah i think so too and i think i try my best to empathize and i you know no parent is the perfect parent and every parent makes mm. a mistake. But I think it's, for me, it's, it's very, very negligible. You know, the idea of, of going out, you know, you're only 55 meters away, but it's not as if you've got a clean view of, of, of your apartment and who's coming in and who's coming out before then. And this apartment happens to be unlocked. You know, the, the half an hour checks are pretty pointless, aren't they? And, and the yeah. chance you bump into somebody, you know, what, but what are the chances of that, you know, and, and that, that seems to be what's happened, happened here. And yeah. They didn't seem to have a clear line of sight, did they? And so they would, like you say, they they regularly regularly go back, uh, check the children every twenty or thirty minutes. And Jerry said that he looked in on his sleeping children and had a proud father moment. Twenty minutes after that, he he returned back to the table, and Kate was just about to to leave to go check on the kids again. But Matt Oldfield offered to check for her at that time. Yeah. He then goes into the apartment, but not the room. I always yeah. think this is so unusual. He, he said that he yeah. maybe saw some light, uh, heard a little bit of noise, which he thought might have been the kids rolling over, and so yeah. just left. But if the door's open, like, I would have just poked my head through or something, you know, it's not going to make that much yeah. noise. I mean, this is, this is something that's particularly interesting to me, because I think by the time he goes up to check, I think Madeline is gone. Yeah. Because the door was closed, and he remarks that the door was open at this point so imagine having that on his conscience there's some things that you never think about in terms of when you're on holiday like I, you, you are on guard because you're in unfamiliar surroundings but you're obviously there to relax and you know you spend your days lounging by the pool or sightseeing or whatever and enjoying the sun and and, and no doubt enjoying the, the sagras lager that portugal has to offer which probably would go very well with tapas i imagine but there have been a few burglaries in the weeks preceding the holiday and a lot of people going door to door begging you know basically scamming asking for money for an orphanage nearby or whatever so there were some very shady people on the loose in the area at that time and we're talking weeks out from the holiday not years you know there were people going around and attempted burglaries happening and things like that yeah it's, it's one of those things you never know when you go to a holiday you never really know what the area is going to be like you see the reviews for the hotel you don't really know exactly what the area is going to be like and you're probably not thinking my child might get abducted uh, you, you're just sort of generally <laughs> 
checking on your kids like you know general safety is what you're thinking about you're not thinking oh in case there's some intruder because there's been people going around recently so you can you can imagine that they're going to be somewhat off guard uh, about this um you know it's not exactly what you're thinking about on a holiday generally um but anyway he goes into the apartment but not the room and then at 10 p.m so this is 35 minutes later kate then goes this time to check on the kids uh, and then she finds that obviously Madeline's bed is empty. The window is open and the shutters are raised. She immediately runs back, shouts, someone's taken Madeline. Now, what I always wondered is when she ran back to the tapas or, you know, whatever, yeah. did she leave the twins back in the apartment still or did she take them with her? No. Do you know what I mean? Like, no. I, I can't imagine her running with both the twins under her arm. Is she leaving them again? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because no. yeah, I, I don't know, you know, I don't want to, you know, come forward with any spoilers, shall we say, about what we might be talking about in a few minutes. But one of the reasons why the Portuguese police like ferociously pursued the lead that they might be involved is for two reasons. And this, firstly, she discovers that Madeline's gone and initially, like almost instantly, assumes that somebody's taken her as opposed to Madeline, say, wandering off, getting up and, you know, the doors are not locked, the patio doors are not locked, locked or whatever. So, you know, as, as kids might, you know, wander off to try and find their, their parents or whatever other unfamiliar surroundings. So that was one of the reasons why the Portuguese police were so hot on, on that. And also the fact that she discovers that Madeline has gone. And instead of calling Jerry or one of the other people that they're dining with and saying, you need to come to the room now, something's happened. She immediately bolts out the room across the resort, back to the table, leaving the two twins in the room, which, you know, the Portuguese police, I think, viewed as, as, as quite suspicious because, you know, obviously they're pursuing the lead that the parents were involved and that Kate doesn't actually believe that there's actually some kind of killer paedophile on the loose, shall we say. Mm. But I think in that moment, it's just instinct, isn't it? And there's a lot of emotion. And I think she can be forgiven for making the assumption that somebody's taken her kid, especially seeing no kid in the bed, window open, room not as I left it. It's yeah. kind of like Madeline's not going to have climbed out the window. Um, when there's a door there. Um, two plus two really wasn't, it, I think, is, is yeah. pretty much what she did. And, and you can again say she's in panic. I mean, she's in panic. Yeah. Maybe she didn't have a phone on her, you know, those kind of things. Like, it's really difficult to know what you do in that situation. <laughs> if your kid's not there, you just go into panic, don't you? Like, yeah. you're probably yeah. not going to get a three-year-old lifting up the shutters and, you know, hopping out the window. It's just, you know, in the middle of the night, it just doesn't really make much sense. But, you know, when you're the Portuguese police trying to pin it on <laughs> the family... You know, you could you either you do want it to be the family, or you have this sort of bias towards it being the family, and so you're looking to try and find ways of pinning it onto them, or find bits of information that prove your point. And so, I think that was also what was at play as well. And the first uh, people that were on the scene were the GNR, which are basically like a small town patrol unit, and basically security guard type um, types, by the sounds of it. Which, when you've got a missing child. You don't really want some like security guards rocking up. You know what I mean, obviously it's not ideal. Obviously it's a small town. You're probably not going to have loads of resources, but it did slow things down quite clearly, and, and it did stop them from getting um, the attention of the you know the, the actual police and the actual investigating team that kind of thing. I think it was another few hours before they got them over there. So I think that definitely did slow things down. In the, those first few hours, when a child goes missing, it's really really important. Don't yeah. tamper with the evidence of the room. And try and get well, people out and about 
and all of that yeah. just didn't happen, did it? No. So I think in 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 researching this, and I, I watched the documentary back when it when it came out, and obviously the Portuguese police don't look exactly they don't look competent coming out at the, the back of that. So I was kind of got the inkling that maybe that you know there was there was something up here with with their response and then looking into it the specifics of it like man like how long had these police officers been on the force like what are they doing like this it's probably gives me like chief wiggum vibes where they'd rather sit around munching on a donut rather than doing their their actual job i just feel like if i was in the police and you know we've got a missing a missing children a missing missing child case or whatever I'd be up on my feet. I'd be like, this is kind of like why you do the job, isn't it? Right. Let's make a, a tangible difference. But I mean, in this, in this situation, like they didn't tell the border force or the, the Marine force, uh, obviously it's a coastal town near the border with Spain, but neither the, the Marine police nor the border forces were told, oh, by the way, keep an eye out for this child. She's been abducted. Road points weren't set up, uh, checkpoints weren't set up on, on the roads or whatever to stop cars that were coming in and out that might potentially have, say, a child in the back or a child in the boot or something like that. Um, and nor after did they check the CCTV on the motorways or anything like that for, for number plates or suspicious, uh, suspicious kind of activity. And yeah, like you mentioned that the crime scene as well. Um, a good 20 people were allowed in and out of the apartment before they actually sealed it off. So if you're looking for any kind of foreign DNA that's not meant to be there, that's not the family's DNA, they found some. But yeah, it was of their own officers that were just wading in and out of the room because it yeah. wasn't taped off. Um, yeah, there, there was a lot of issues definitely with the way the police handled it. And also, I, I think there was something to do with they treat missing person cases different in Portugal. They treat it as an incident has taken place as opposed to a crime has taken place or something like that. There's some right. distinction. So until I think there's, I don't know if there's a time limit on it or something like that before it can be called a, a missing, a missing child case and a crime, or maybe because it's a missing child, it's not actually classed as a crime. I think it's the thing right. that they, they call it in, in Portugal. So something's happened, an incident's happened, a child's gone missing, but there's no actual crime being committed. So they take a while yeah. to get the actual police in, which doesn't seem like a great system really, does it? No, I mean, it, it seems different. And I know, cause obviously they got, um, I think it was Leicestershire Police because that's where that, that was Kate and Jerry's kind of local force. Uh, I think they ended up going out there and that was a disaster because I think the Portuguese police were hostile to a kind of foreign police um, kind of uh, spoke to tampering in, the, in, the, in, in their case or whatever. And I think that at one point they even called it like neo-imperialism. So they were very, very resistant to the help that the British police were kind of providing. And I mean, I don't want to sound too biased or whatever, or too patriotic, mm. but we're talking about a police force that um, uses files to store information, physical files, 2007, physical files for information as opposed to a proper kind of database, which is what the British police were uh, were used to. So I mean, even, even from the off, there was a kind of a lack of cooperation there. Because, I mean, you think about it, like all, all parties had good intentions. They all wanted to solve the crime. I think for different reasons though, I think for different reasons. I think the British police wanted to solve the crime out of the fact that, you know, they're seeing the emotional toll that it that it took on, on the family. Whereas I think the Portuguese police, I think for the main the main priority for them, it seems, was pinning it on somebody, anybody, the parents or somebody that happened to be in the resort walking past and whatever. Uh, I think for PR purposes, because obviously this is one of Portugal's most popular tourist resorts on the Algarve or whatever. It's not good PR to have a kid going missing, you know, say that's been abducted so let's put it on the parents and brush it under the carpet is the vibe that i get from the from the portuguese police at least that seemed to be the tactic didn't it you know this is going to cause problems with our tourism 
let's just pin it on someone. Let's find someone easy to pin it on. Let's pick some. Let's pick on someone with a birth defect or something. Do you know what I mean? Or with an eye which doesn't quite look right. Let's just do that. <laughs> it's easier because we all know people with a weird eye is evil, and that <laughs> that's logic because that's because it happens in the films. People with birth defects, little scar, they're they're the bad guy. That's always, how it works. always in the, always in James Bond. Exactly. Portuguese have been watching that documentary. But yeah, but even better, they could pin it on the parents and then admit that you know, deny that 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 their tourist resorts have a problem with um, abducting paedophiles and you know and things like that. Like if they pin it on the parents, it's kind of like what's well, the less of a PR disaster, isn't it? Look at these dirty Brits that did this bad thing. You know, yeah, we won't be letting them back in. We caught them. <laughs> and and um, to be fair, there are some examples of kids going missing and it involving either people they know or the parents, that kind of thing. I think the Shannon Matthews case happened yeah. a year after, I think, 2008, right. where basically their, their, their parents claimed that the daughter had gone missing and it transpires that um, however many weeks later that she'd actually been at, like, the mum's boyfriend's brother's uncle or something like that house yeah, she was, she she was kept... under her uncle's bed or something yeah something, something like, like that. that she was trying to get the reward money 50 grand imagine that imagine kidnapping your child for 50 grand i know i'd demand a cut if i was the kid if i was i demand Shannon. at least 100 yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting that you bring that up because i watched the interviews of uh of uh, karen matthews uh shannon matthews mum who was obviously the sham abduction case alongside just the, uh, alongside the uh, Kate and Jerry's interviews I've done I think they're very different and I'm no body language expert don't get me wrong but I think that they're very very different and I know some people have watched interviews of, of Kate and Jerry um, and they said things like you know well their child was abducted a week before this interview and she's smiling Kate's smiling so she must have done it and it's you know like she's getting glee out of the fact that she's getting away with it and things like that and I mean you know I think I just think if there were a break I, I don't think she was implicated at all in it to be honest it's difficult to know how people like, react in those situations as well and also you know do you just want to spend the rest of your life just constantly crying and sad you know you might have been just trying to be strong and you know that that kind of thing you can look at it from that way um but one thing just quickly on on the karen matthews uh, i saw <laughs> i saw an article and i saw an article recently her boyfriend's a pedo now just uh fun fact convicted there you go um <laughs> there's a, a lot of it out there isn't there there's a lot yeah of it imagine there. that imagine knowing that about your boyfriend convicted serve time Nah, still get with them. Um, anyway, back on to Kate and Jerry McCann. Uh, that's the thing with Jerry as well. People thought he was very cold. Um, yeah. You know, people didn't really take to him very well. But again, you can view it as a guy just trying to be strong for his family. Like, it's very easy to look at it from that perspective as well. As much as he might have given off a cold kind of vibe. I mean, he was a surgeon, wasn't he? Or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, and all surgeons are notoriously cold. But well, you have to you be know, cold thing, in order to do that think... job, <laughs> cutting people open and stuff. It's a cold job. It. You're not a Jerry bubbly person, it. a surgeon, are you? <laughs> the reason Jerry did it was his, his hand was too steady. His yeah. hand was too steady. That's why he did it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think we have to remember as well, like some people are cold, like naturally. It doesn't mean that they uh, accidentally kill their, their, their children and are implicated in manslaughter and decide to hide them in a boot and drive them off a cliff or whatever and then it was uh, in a fridge actually not a boot can we it was in a fridge then in a boot you frequent those internet forums far more than i do in those uh, rabbit holes that you get into but yeah but like some people are naturally called people that struggle to display emotion like that doesn't mean they don't feel them but they don't display them outwardly or whatever but it doesn't mean they're capable of things like this does it um so yeah it's, it's interesting the kind of psychoanalysis or should i say armchair psychoanalysis that went on 
after in terms of you know she had Kate McCann had the cheek to smile for a second in an interview where she was reminiscing about Madeline McCann so she must be kind of getting a kick out of the fact that she's pulling the wool over everybody's eyes and she's getting away with it but yeah I, I never really bought into any of that to be honest yeah I, I didn't either to be honest either um, I think what then happens is you have all the, the police come in uh, all I think you eventually get some media coming in the next day I think but to begin with it was fairly light I think on media coverage but all the resorts and everyone around in the area are now looking for Madeline McCann trying to find her and there's a few interesting things there's, there's a sighting from one of the people in the group Jane Tanner she's at 9.15 on her way to see her own children she saw a man crossing the road with a kid in his in his arms which you know it's sort of like yeah I guess you're sort of trying to find any bits of information in your memory at this point aren't you I'm well aware that memory isn't like a tape recorder isn't it and people can misremember things and people can completely forget about things but she says that she 9.15 I don't know where she was coming or going from but she walked out there's one street between the tapas place and say the apartment or whatever and she says that she was walking down the street and she saw a man kind of cradling a kid and walking away or whatever, and in pyjamas and a blanket or whatever. And then she said, and I don't know if you, if you discovered this, she said that she saw on the way back, she saw Jerry McCann talking to a fellow British holiday maker on this tiny street. So they would have definitely seen each other, but neither Jerry nor the holiday maker remember seeing her. So I'm not sure what, what Jane oh, Tanner is, is playing. It was kind of an interesting tidbit that I found out. Yeah, I've not um, heard about that. I've not seen anything about that, to be honest. So, so, yeah, so there was a lot of leads that came out of this so-called sighting. But when the Portuguese police found out that, that, that uh, you know, Tanner had said that she'd seen Jerry McCann and, and the holiday maker having a chat on the street or whatever, as soon as, uh, as they found out that neither man saw her, they kind of disregarded it completely. So I'm not mm. sure what, what, was, what was going on there with, with that one. She got bad eyesight. It might have been someone else. You never know. Um, one thing I thought was interesting. <laughs> That's a good point. You've probably seen double one too many Pinot Grigios. And when you're in Sangria. the when you're, <laughs> when you're in the heat, it goes to your head as well. It's shocking. Good it? point. Shocking. Dehydrated. But I think what was interesting about this particular sighting was um, there was some like e-fit that was developed by the police. And it was basically an egg with side partings. <laughs> and that's what it was. It was literally a circle with some hair on top. We got an <laughs> e-fit, guys. This is the person who stole your child. Egg. <laughs> Just an egg with hair. This is the, the kind of e-fit that I remember from the time as well. And I remember thinking it looked like one of those. Have you ever played on the Nintendo Wii and you had your own little character on yes. there? That you, yeah. And it's just literally like, it's like an egg shape with eyes and a nose and a mouth on it, and that's it, and it looks... I'm not even sure it had eyes or a nose, to be honest. I think it was just (laughs) blank. I think that maybe someone did that afterwards or something. I'm pretty sure it was just a blank face with hair. the less details that you uh, you put on, you know, the, the less likely you have to go wrong with it. So maybe it's, they're operating with that. With that it's open-ended, isn't it? It's open-ended. Let's cast a, a wide net. Well, no wonder so many people were coming forward saying, I've seen, yeah, I've seen him. Yeah, I've seen him. Yeah. Just a generic out there. Yeah, we've, we've all seen him. Two eyes. Unbelievable. I mean, that just says everything about, like, the response to this case, doesn't it? It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, no. Um, there's some other interesting details as well that we find out later. Apparently, the morning before the abduction, Madeline says to Kate, yeah. Mummy, why didn't you come last night when Sean and I were crying? Now, I thought that was interesting. Does that mean that was perhaps somebody the night before went into the room, upset the kids? 
perhaps? Yeah. Was there some sort of scouting out of um, the area beforehand? Because I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that there was some sort of scouting out either on the day or the night before or even days before. Yeah, I think that the, the one interesting in, again, piece of information uh, in this case is that so this lot would always go for tapas. I think it was half past eight. Mm-hmm. And so in the hotel's reservation book, there was a note that said 8.30, like McCann party or, you know, whoever the list, the names or whatever, the tapas seven. And they booked a table in the restaurant for the whole week or 10 days that they were there. And they would always go at half past eight. And I think it could be either whether there's somebody saw that note directly or whether somebody was scouting out the scene and they saw that they would leave the room without their kids at this time every day, half past eight. And you know exactly where they're going because they're going to the same tapas restaurant. I mean, very other bit as well, go out for Chinese or something, but I mean, probably the, the least of their worries and they're coming out of this holiday, you know, their diet. But yeah, so somebody's obviously scouted out the scene or saw that note in the in the hotel reservation book saying um, half past eight, you know, that's where they go every time. And that makes that makes the, the, the job infinitely easier for anybody that's wanting to, to do that, doesn't it? And there's some suggestion now, and this is the more recent information, which we'll get onto more at the, at the end of the podcast, but there's some suggestion that might have been somebody actually tip, tipped off somebody outside the hotel to that note, which I think is yeah. interesting. And perhaps some suggestion that maybe even someone could have been working there and, and collaborating with some sort of group. So there's a lots of bits of information, but it does sort of suggest there might well have been some planning to this or at least some scouting out in the days before, which I think tells you that this was a coordinated attempt, really, to either steal or try and kidnap the child. Yeah, I'd say so too. And I think there's a lot of activity around. It was a part, they were staying in apartment 5A, and there was a lot of activity around apartment 5A in the in the run-up to the event and on the night itself, in terms of there, I, there's this blonde man that kept on cropping up in, in readings that I was doing, kind of like shoulder-length hair, very scruffy apparently, as they all are, these 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 suspects. There's always something wrong with them. Yeah, they dress like, nicely. Oh. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to be a horrific criminal, <laughs> just dress a bit nicer. Come on. Have a trim. Have a trim at least. I think. Yeah. Have a trim. But yeah, a blonde man staying two doors down at 5C that was seen kind of scouting out the area and was about apparently being very discreet. I think somebody said that he closed the gate very slowly and looked around as he was doing it. But once again, you're not sure whether somebody's looking at that and putting two and two together and getting five, because maybe he's just a very careful, careful, considerate kind of man. But there's definitely an aspect of, uh, of collaboration, at least, I think, with this. I think it's it more of an operation, like... more of an operation than, than something done on a whim. I think. Yeah. One thing I've got noted down here, which was in the um, documentary on Netflix, is a guy that's called Kelvin, who I think used to work for the News of the World or The Sun or something as like oh, an editor. And he Kelvin says, McKenzie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he Latin. says, and I quote, she's a very attractive little girl. Attractive? A three-year-old? I don't, I don't think you want to be using the word attractive, Kelvin. Can we get his hard drives checked as well? Maybe it was him. <laughs> was Kelvin in Portugal at the time? I think Kelvin's gutted he wasn't by the sound yeah. of the dirt dog. Um, but yeah, and this, this, is, this is something that contributes to um, to the fact why I think most people, I think it's fairly unanimous that she's not alive anymore. Yeah. Because the case became synonymous with that picture of her in the Everton shirt. Do you remember? And mm-hmm. she had the, the thing wrong with her eye where the, the pupil was a bit bigger than normal or whatever, there's a bit of a defect going on there. And it's, it's kind of... Um, characteristics like that that would separate her even now from other people of a similar age 
um, because it was a very famous image of, of that case, wasn't it? That's what I think of when when you when uh, it's probably what Kelvin's thinking of as well. But I'm sure he's thinking of it in a different context. Very very weird. It was an unusual um, comment though, wasn't it? By him, it was just very strange. Not particularly relevant, you know. I yeah. Sit there and go, yeah. Well, I mean, she was clapped. So I'm not sure what the pedo was thinking. I was to be honest. <laughs> what, you know, it's better. It's better out there, you know. I'm not sure. It's just, it's just a weird comment, wasn't it? Um, what I thought was then interesting was obviously the media attention began to build over the coming days. Actually, quite quickly at this point, I think the media were like, oh here we go we've got one here this this could be good and so just as the media are you know bad news is good news to them and very quickly it seems that a lot of the locals seem to want to get involved and try and help and one of the people who wanted to get involved and help was a guy uh, in Pride Luge nearby called Robert Murat who spoke English he was, he was English and he also spoke Portuguese so he could translate between the police and you know uh, the McCanns etc so he gets involved to help translate and I do think there's an element of him wanting to be involved I think he was enjoying I think he was loving being in the center of it all a little bit and it some it sort of comes back to bite him in a way which is I think unfair ultimately I think just a, just a little bit unfair because he then has the the blame pinned on him doesn't he for a, a period yeah I'm not sure I think that there was a lot of desperation from from the Portuguese police and from the McCann's especially at this point because it's all very fresh and at this point like we can sit here now a good however many years later 10, 15 years later and say, yeah, it's never going to be found, you know, leads to, you know, few and far between or whatever. But, but back at this point, there was the hope that she would be found alive because it's it's all very fresh and there's, we're only a few days out from it. So as soon as somebody comes forward that maybe is a, acts a little bit suspect and maybe is a bit too keen on getting involved, I think the police turn around and they suspect that he's uh, been involved in it. And the McCann's themselves seem to be very, they were like a dog with a bone when it came to accusing him in terms of, I think, three of the people that were at the tapas table, so three of the seven, said, yep, we saw this guy lingering, loitering outside apartment 5A, you know, in the past in the past few days. He might happen to lift them and live in the local area, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's kind of that, like it's not beyond becomes a possibility. That, for me, made me very uncomfortable, actually, because if, and I appreciate, you know, the daughter of your friends has gone missing. I appreciate that that's, that's happened, but when you start to pin something so serious as that, on some guy just because you want an answer or you want to be able to pin it on somebody something so serious as that I just I lost quite a bit of respect for them for that because I appreciate highly emotional you want answers Mm. you want Madeline back but I don't think it was the McKenzie it was like you say I think their friend a few of their friends clubbed together said to the police this is the guy we saw him it was him but it's just like oh come on it's so fresh and emotions are so high and I think there's a lot of hope like I said involved in it but it got to the point for me where I was reading about them and a couple of the people in the wider circle so not the McCann's themselves but their friends uh they were making deals with BBC journalists where they'd say like you they will give you exclusive updates on what the McCann's are up to our mates are up to you know they're going through this kind of horrific kind of uh circumstance change of events we'll give you exclusive updates on that on what's going on behind the scenes if you tell us what the press pack thinks of uh, Robert Murat so I don't know why they had this target on his back from the off like they were like dogs with bones being like I don't know why they were so convinced that it was him and more interestingly they were convinced with what the press thought of him as well because if you're convinced somebody's done something why are you bothered what the press think yeah I think again it was it was another one of them where somebody in the press actually thought it quite early on to be like oh this guy's getting quite close to this case he looks a little bit different mm, therefore must have done it and I think again it, it I think comes from another case which happened in the UK where it was a I think a schoolgirl went missing and it ended up being 
like one of the the caretaker um, ended up doing, I think ended up killing him or something oh. like that. And he was actually very, got very close to the investigation, wanted to help and help out. He got in front of the cameras, did interviews and stuff. And it turned out that he was actually the one that had killed this yeah. girl. And so I think there was that in the back of people's minds and they tried to push it on someone who was so close to the case as Robert Millwright was. Yeah, you're right. With I think it was the Millie Dowler case, I think, if memory serves correctly, I think is whether the caretaker of the school had done that. Yeah, and he was very, very involved with it. But obviously, Murat wasn't. And um, for his troubles, though, he got a hefty libel payout of, uh, I think it was about £600,000 or something like that. Would you take that, though? Would you go through that for that amount of money? I don't think I would, reputationally. I- I didn't think it was enough, to be honest. I think it was the biggest no. that they'd ever done, the biggest payout that they'd ever done. But I thought the way that he got hounded and, you know, he had his um, calm burnt or whatever, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So I didn't think it was um, enough, person. I think it should have been over a million. No, it's definite. It's, it's defamation of character if I've ever seen it as well. I think if, if could you imagine your face on the front of national, every national newspaper with the word pedo next to it or something like that? Yeah. And I don't think 600K is a lot of money, but I don't think it's near enough. I'm with you on that. I Just based like, on somebody off- the way he looked. Yeah. I haven't actually seen a picture of him, though. Did he look a bit... But you know, not a lucky was he? He's he just left. had. I just think he had something with his eye. I can't even remember what, what exactly the medical condition was with his eye, but yeah, it was the eye one, was he? That's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there was that there was that going on. And whilst all this was going on, the McCanns um, were beginning to build out almost like a PR campaign, basically. And they had PR teams and they were treating it like a political campaign, is, is what one of the people on the team said. And um, they'd start going on this world tour. Now, this again rubbed people up the wrong way because they start traveling the world and started going <laughs> around Europe. They wanted to see Madison the Pope. Square Gardens. Yeah. yeah. They sold it out. <laughs> Incredible. They Vegas see- residency and everything. <laughs> Those McCann's, eh? <laughs> so they they wanted to see the Pope and, you know, eventually did end up getting to see the Pope and, you know, gave him a hug, kissed his ring or whatever. Good point, exactly. Yeah, he's so, the last person I want to see. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it was it was interesting how they, they started doing that and building up this campaign, which did rub people up the wrong way because uh, they started touring the world. But I think also... You do want to get her out there, and she might be anywhere in the world, I guess you could argue. I think it was more probable that she was either continent, uh, either on the continent of Europe or had been um, moved to, like, Morocco or something into Africa. So if you oh, need... Yeah. yeah, something like that. You know, if if you are going to go on a tour of the world, you probably want to target specific areas as opposed to just sort of, like, flying around willy-nilly. Uh, it, just, it just felt like they wanted to keep the name out there, I think, in the press and the media, but it did yeah. sort of make people a bit like, oh, you kid's gone missing and you're what doing a world tour it did sort of rub people up the wrong way again didn't it? i think yeah once again though i think it's out of desperation i think they're sitting there and they're thinking what can we do in order to get our daughter back and i know kate went you don't you hate this she went to see a psychic for a while oh yeah as well in order to talk to to madeline and nothing came of that unfortunately which is surprising i i thought they always bring up answers i thought they solved every missing child case in existence those geniuses as i call them Uh, I just think they, they prefer to save their wisdom for when normal people come to them about, you know, it was an off day. love lives and, and, you know, can can you speak to my grandma for me? I miss her and, and things yeah. like that. Um, but even more day. outrageous. We all have off days. We do, we do, we do. And we all, you know, like to talk to the dead sometimes, don't we? Exactly. I suppose, but that's a topic maybe for a future podcast, isn't mm. it? I think, whether death is the end or not. But more, even more interestingly than this was that a, a South African scientist came forward and said that... Um, he or she had, had, had made a device where you insert DNA data into this machine or something and it can locate where the person is, right? 
And so it, Kate and Jerry flew home. They flew home, whatever, you know, like Madeline's room, the strand of hair or whatever, eyelash, something like that. Professor Kruger, I want to say the name was. Professor Kruger. And, you know, sent off the, the, the DNA or whatever, a uh, little strand of hair. Um, but unfortunately, as we know, didn't find her. Which didn't is, it? The machine must have malfunctioned. I and I dare say that somebody maybe a South African professor was very happy that their name got in the papers and, and you know, a bit of publicity and everything. Uh, yeah. A press release, a press release there, but didn't find it, which is a shame. That's, that's a surprise because, you know, these sorts of devices that locate people based on strands of DNA often work. So I'm, I'm shocked by that, to be honest. I'm <laughs> shocked. It seems so scientifically viable to me that it really is that easy. But uh, unfortunately, this time it did misfire and, the case still remains a mystery, which is a shame, really, isn't it? But if the psychic yeah. doesn't work and the Mad Hat professor doesn't work, um, then I'm not sure where you go after that, to be honest with you. I look forward to seeing his other inventions coming soon, you know, like a <laughs> teleporting machine or something. I look forward to it. I, look, I do. And I thought what was interesting is they really attached themselves to sort of religion as well as they, they were going a lot to, to church and that kind of thing. And I think Jerry said that he wasn't the biggest, Chris, I think it was Christian that they are, or was it Christian? I think something like that. Uh, Roman Catholic, yeah. But Catholic, yeah. Yeah, so he said he wasn't the biggest sort of practising Catholic, but uh, I think Kate was more so um, in, into religion. But interestingly, I think they attach themselves to that, obviously, for hope and that kind of thing. And I think that's what a lot of people do in, in desperate times, uh, particularly if you are in, if you've been brought up religious as well, you're probably going to gravitate towards that. And even when people die, you see people suddenly talk about, oh, seeing them again or being heaven, that kind of thing. People do tend to gravitate towards that in, in desperate times. Um, but what I thought was interesting is that there's also conspiracies because of this, that something either happened at the church, was Madeline... Uh, kept in the, in the church in Pride Luge. Uh, are they involved in some sort of cult? There's a conspiracy theory that Jerry is high-end Mason or something like that, and that Madeline McCann was a um, sacrifice, uh, a sacrifice of some sort. So there's yeah, all sorts of stuff. I think once again, I think with with the issue is, and I think maybe this kind of speaks to a bigger issue with the issue of the internet is that it seems to make everybody think that their opinion is valid. And with every conspiracy theory these days, you do get these people thinking, I've got this platform on Twitter with 280 characters, the same as these experts or whatever. So I'm going to come out with this and that. I think some people approach cases like this with preconceived ideas and pick out information that suits their agenda. And then they just bend it and, and go with it. Because I think that obviously the Masons are pretty dodgy people and very secretive people, but it doesn't mean that Jerry McCann himself is capable of, of something like this because it's effectively just a a club for people with a bit of money and a bit too, bit too much spare time and a few maybe more bizarre rituals i think but i don't think it would involve anything that that that, that that's gone on here shall we say it, it does seem very outlandish doesn't it as, as a lot of conspiracy theories do and you know there's probably um I, I think they derive from sort of inconsistencies in the case or bits of information where sort of a bit of a feeling of oh is that true is that not true how real is that and there's some misinformation <clears throat> from even the police feeding to the the media like you heard something about i think there was some sort of uh, stat that they were fed saying that they'd found dna or they found blood or something and it was 80 percent matching to madeline mccann's dna or something like that was what they fed to the media or maybe it was even higher than that i can't remember 
and end up being just complete nonsense. Like just no, there was no evidence to suggest that they found any DNA from Madeline at all, uh, particularly not blood or anything like that. So yeah. it was, there was an interesting amount of misinformation brought out from the case. And it makes it difficult in hindsight to look back through the information and work out what was real, what wasn't real. Like, is that just some sensationalized thing from the sun? Is that from the actual investigation? Like it's difficult. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that without the toxic mix, of confirmation bias and misinformation regarding this case we wouldn't be sat here talking about it now and it, 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 there is it, because you know we talk about things that are contentious and that there's this side and that side and that there's a bit of conspiracy involved in there and i think that mixture of i think somebody watching and people watching interviews of jay mccann going that guy's a bit cold and he happens to be in the freemasons they're a bit dodgy as well and then you look for things that, that confirm your kind of suspicions or he was involved with the church as well and things like that and maybe inconsistencies in their in their police statements which we might go on to as well combined with the misinformation coming out of the, the portuguese police who were actively briefing the press against the mccanns so that kind of mixture has led to these kind of conspiracies kind of sprouting that means that it, it, it's something that is worthy of talking about on a podcast like this it's it, it really is like i think that i don't know what the portuguese police were, were, were playing at really um in terms of their true intentions and that because they don't come out of this looking the best do they and i think um there's one portuguese police chief it might have been the, the chief of the the pj i don't know what that stands for but it's the portuguese police force like the national police force he resigned or retired or something and then suspiciously the briefings to, to the press stopped and yeah. it's why he thought that the, the head of the police in portugal the, the guy the head honcho was the one that was that was doing these briefings was they stopped as soon as he retired and it's kind of like why are the police briefing against the parents like well, it's absolute madness and briefing bullshit as well as you say so. yeah the whole thing was a mess and i do think there are valid questions to be asked of the mccann's like there's there's a few different things like they claimed that they were in line of sight of the apartment and it's like well it's pretty clear from the pictures that you weren't in clear line of sight of the apartment they they said um they got up every 20 or 30 minutes did they do that every night? Did that I mean, some people have said that's just not practical. It'd be like getting up and down all the time. And apparently staff yeah. there have suggested that, well, they weren't doing that every 20, 30 minutes because that'd be pretty noticeable. Like imagine leaving your conversation every 20 minutes to go and check on the kids. I appreciate they were swapping between, you know, all of them. Have they just said that? to make them sound a little bit better? Was it more like yeah. 40 minutes, an hour? You know, after you've had a few drinks, does it become an hour and 20 minutes? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like it would have been a yeah. bit of a circus every 20, 30 minutes, as they suggested. I'm, I'm not sure either whether that's a conscious thing or a subconscious thing in the sense that they are objectively not within the line of sight of the apartment. And I've, I've seen and I've looked into that and that, that's clear. And, you know, whether they were leaving the table every 20, 30 minutes or not, probably not. But after something as traumatic as this happens, are you bargaining with yourself and are you convincing yourself that you were doing this and you were doing that and you're doing almost everything in your power, even though you practically weren't and other people can correct the record? I think they probably genuinely believe that they were, because I think if not, then that's a heavy, heavy, like they probably feel enough guilt. But in terms of, I think, the kind of their negligence, their objective negligence, I think they're bargaining with themselves to make them seem less guilty, I think. Perhaps they were playing it down a little bit because there was that sort of fear of will they get convicted for negligence over their kids? And a lot of people did want that. And I think there was some sympathy in the police force and from politicians. And I think that idea was actually suppressed internally from people. Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting legal question, actually. What, what kind of constitutes parental negligence? And does, is, is leaving your child in a room 55 metres away unlocked while you're 
necking this and necking that and having a you know a bit of seafood paella or whatever is that actually negligent or not and i mean no wonder it's sympathy from from politicians because i think around the same time david cameron left his kid and attended in a pub and just forgot that his daughter was in there his like three or four year old daughter was in there and swanned off the next pub it happens uh, leaving his child behind so i mean there's, there's, a, it, there's a lot of it out there it just happens isn't it as well and it happens with less disastrous kind of consequences i don't know if you ever went off when you were a kid in a shopping center or on holiday or something no, I, I remember I times where i you know that that kind of spirit that kind of uh, explorer spirit in you is like yeah, just, well, let's see what's down this aisle run off nah. didn't have the legs for it didn't have the legs for it but those are good <laughs> times where i did and where you'd have to go to the checkout or something and be like i've lost my mummy and then they'd go over the tunnel it was an embarrassing affair but it does happen but like what if you get snatched then by somebody and you're three or four and you're kind of like you know indefensible it, 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 yeah, these things do happen but there's a lot of negligence involved in the in the situation and my sympathy with the parents is it, yeah, i've got a lot of sympathy but it doesn't really stretch to cover the, the negligence there like i don't think that there was any need for that especially if you know the doors are locked I just, yeah i mean it's interesting because i mean jerry claimed that the front door was locked and then he re then later revised it to saying it was unlocked so that there was a few different inconsistencies there was little things like kate said she peeped under the bed despite the bed being like a few inches off the floor Do you know what i mean like you're not going to fit a child under the bed so there's a few little details like that which i thought were a bit unusual but again i guess in desperation your child's gone missing you just sort of maybe naturally go well, let's check under the bed, you know, you know, fingers yeah. crossed, hopeful kind of thing to do. I'm not sure as well how much get, gets lost in, in, in translation. And there are some some kind of questionable things, though, with the interviews, inconsistencies that, that, that don't result from translation errors and, and things like that as well. And refusal, I think, what was that? There's that, there's that famous interview that Joe McCann did with the police when he had suspect status a couple of months on from 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 when Madeline went missing where he just point blank refused to answer 45 questions or, or that was Kate like that. was that it was Kate was it yeah that was when she'd been made an Arguido I think or, or I don't know if she, I don't even know if she had been actually that might have even been the first day I can't remember but there was a, a sort of general feeling that the tide was turning in the press and that with the police towards the parents and so she just decided to shut up shop completely and just not say anything and was sort of like swearing yeah. under her breath about the, the police and that kind of thing uh, she just decided not to answer any questions now again some people look at that and think well your child's gone missing these are this is your best way of getting the child back to the police why aren't you speaking with the police and you could also argue well, if you feel like the police are turned against you and are using the information against you, then maybe you don't you want to stop giving them information. Maybe you feel like they're not looking for your child anymore and they're actually looking at ways to pin it on you. So maybe that's what made her do that decision. She was put in a, a difficult position. I think they both were with the way that the police were beginning to start being very unhelpful, really. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. And I think that, you know, it's, it's twofold, isn't it? I think the police probably knew that their response to the, the case initially as we went through that list earlier of things that they didn't do in that crucial half an hour, an hour after um, the crime had been committed or whatever. So yeah, probably trying to cover their backs with that. And I think obviously they're looking at the kind of how vital tourism is in, in that area. And they're thinking we need a quick fix to this situation. We're not probably not going to find who actually did it. So let's pin it on the, on the parents because the po local police chief did have history with doing this, didn't he? Right. Like there's a case, was it, was it in the previous year? A Portuguese girl went missing, something like that. Yeah, a few years beforehand, uh, in I think the, a nearby town, a, a girl went missing and it was reported and basically the, they tried to pin it on the parents and the parents, I think, nearly got locked up and perhaps even did get locked up for it. They tried to pin it on the, the child's 
being killed by them and stored in a fridge. And they came up with this like story about it. And they found a fridge to pin it onto the parents. And yeah. then the fridge, they showed a picture of the fridge. You can't fit a child in that. It was just like drawers. I mean, there was you couldn't fit a child in it. It's ridiculous to suggest that. Yeah. It was it was smaller than a child. It's a tiny fridge. If you're gonna pick a yeah. fridge, pick a big fridge, not a mini fridge. Do you know what I mean? One. Exactly. A child friendly. One child of those Americanized ones. Exactly, exactly. And there I, was definitely that, some some history of them trying to pin things on the parents, wasn't there? Yeah, they they the parents got locked up for it, and they got locked up for it because they confessed to doing it. And then uh, a few months later, the, the mother who was in jail changed her story and said that actually she made a confession under pressure from the police and that she'd been like repeatedly beaten. And the relevance of that case to the to the McCann case is that the police chief presiding over it, Gonzalo Amaral, I want to say. And I apologise to the people of Portugal. It's not a language that I'm particularly familiar with and I've never been, but he was involved in, he was in charge of that case and in charge of the, the McCann case as well. A very dodgy guy that eventually went down for perjury as well and making a witness statement. So he got banged up himself. So not necessarily an authority, but he's still out here. He's on the documentary that was released in 2019, spouting his... Shit, well, plugging he, his book. He got a good book deal out of it, okay? So don't knock the guy. He did well with those book sales as well. So don't knock him. Plenty of time to write a sequel in prison for perjury <laughs> as well. So, I mean, fair play to him for that. I'm sure the sequel would be even better. I think one of the reasons why the Portuguese police um, wanted to pin it on the parents was obviously to try and get it off the books, essentially, and try and just put them down for it. But also there was only the fingerprints of Kate on the open window on that night. So there was no glove marks, no other prints whatsoever. And why was there no prints of other guests that had stayed there? There was some suggestion of had this been cleaned, had this been like an attempt to try and, um, I guess, get rid of any evidence. But also, interestingly... The DNA was only ever taken after, I think it was taken after the place was cleaned and rented out to a fam another family to stay there. And right, it was only yeah. after that that they then took DNA evidence. Let me so, add that to the list of mishaps. But yeah, one thing that I do find always particularly interesting about this case, and is, is something that before researching for this episode, I, I did think about a lot, was the um, cadaver dogs, because they were the the dogs that are trained to sniff the scent of a corpse. If I was a dog, I don't think I'd want to be a cadaver dog. I'm not going to lie to you. I think I'd rather be a golden retriever running free with my tongue out in a field or something, just chasing a ball. But these dogs, they were sent out from, from Britain to sniff. Was it a rental car? or something or other, wasn't it? it was to sniff the rental car in the apartment. And they barked in the apartment. And yeah. so people have obviously taken that and gone, well, they barked in the apartment. <laughs> They barked on the clothing. I think they barked when it came to being in the boot of the rental car. And because yeah. we know that these specialist dogs exist and that they're generally very good at their jobs, and so we rely on them quite heavily uh, when it comes to security and things, um, people have then gone, well, they've barked, and that's they bark when to do with blood and dead bodies and stuff, so they must have done something. And again, I think that bit of information really pushed the narrative forward then at that point as yeah. okay this happened in the apartment this is the parents they've covered it up but i do think the thing that sort of undermines it for me is if you are suggesting that the mccann's put madeline their own child in the boot of their car then i mean the hire car was hired 25 days after she went missing so yeah, they so must where? have done that at some point after and, and the amount yeah. of media and police that were around at what point, how, where would they have stored her? 
How would they have got that in the boot? Where would they have then? What would they have done with the body afterwards? How would they have yeah. done it without being seen? It just doesn't make any sense that route. No, it doesn't. And it's not as if like there's a lot of media attention on it. And I think even by the 25 days after, the Portuguese police had turned on them as well. So I've got no doubt that they'd have had their own investigators tracking uh, McCann's every move. So uh, when it comes to smuggling a, a body out of your apartment, or well, it probably wasn't in there, was it? But smuggling a body from where you've been storing it to, to elsewhere in your the boot of your, your rental car probably is not possible practically in, in, in that kind of circumstances there. But it did, it, it did get to, a, if you pardon the point, a forensic level of detail uh, with these dogs in terms of they found um, traces of a corpse or whatever. The dogs were barking by the driver's door. And then interestingly enough, whenever they sniffed the key ring, so a key ring, on the keys to the car, they barked every time they sniffed that. So it's actually quite, I think it's quite interesting, but it's probably interesting from the perspective of you never know if what you're handling has traces of a corpse on, do you? I would, you know, you look at that key ring, you wouldn't think, oh, that's been in contact with a corpse. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd not heard about the key ring thing, to be honest. I'd heard about yeah. the, the boost of the car. I knew that yeah. they'd barked at something like a cupboard in the McCann's room, and they'd also barked at the teddy bear as well. And some, some people thought, oh, well, Kate's keeping that teddy bear close. Is that her? Is that some sort of reference to something went on, and that's her trying to keep Maddie close? Or is that trying to hurt her to keep that evidence away from any sort of police or anything like that? So that sort of created more theories around those kind of things didn't it yeah i think the interesting thing as well is that the the samples were sent so the key ring was that i mentioned was sent off and samples from the car were sent off and they said that, that, that yeah like there's a dna match for, for madeline but there's also i think three to five other contributors of, of dna um kind of in, in in this scene so they said that it's far too that the science behind it is far too unreliable and is therefore inconclusive because if this was the big kind of um, piece of evidence that some people make it out to be like then we'd have seen them hauled in front of a, a court either in the in portugal or, or here but they weren't and in fact they suspect that our guido status uh, was lifted wasn't it pretty soon after yeah so kate and kate gets made our guido first gets basically questioned by the police and then eventually they do the same with jerry and, and get him involved and try and pin something <laughs> on him and so all this just to me just shows how little information they really had because you can't just use the dogs like that's not good enough to get a conviction the dogs no. the dogs barked you, you can't just stand up in court and say that you know <laughs> oh, some dogs started barking behind the sofa that's not good enough for a conviction <laughs> Do you know what I mean like you're not going to get anywhere with that you're not going to send them down for, for a barking dog exactly yeah exactly yeah. so exactly. at this point they're just trying to basically I think turn up the heat a little bit and try and get a confession from the McCann's a little bit like what it sounds like they did with the parents with that other kid uh, a few years yeah, before well they even tried to make a deal didn't they which is the, the most kind of exasperating part of this for me is that the, the guy who I was talking about the Gonzalo Amaral head of the local police force in Portugal said to, 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 to Kate and Jerry, um, if you admit to doing this, to being involved and it being an accident, a manslaughter will give you Kate two years and Jerry can get off scot-free. So they tried brokering a deal for a, for a, a conviction with them, which to me shows that obviously their main priority is not solving the case with integrity and, and you know, in the pursuit of truth, it's, seeming like they've solved it to everybody just to brush it under the carpet and move on another case cracked type thing yeah come to portugal we've got a competent police force sunny beaches and no pedos on the loose type thing isn't it i think it's definitely like that 
the fact that they tried to broker a deal is de- a definite sign, isn't it? I think that yeah. the Portuguese kind of police's priorities weren't necessarily what you'd expect from a police force. And at that point, we then see the McCanns return back to the UK. And again, this was sort of spun as, oh, they've been made suspects, now they're running off, oh, must be guilty. And so again, at every moment, every bit of information was sort of spun in a different way. But there is, they returned back to the UK, I think, to try and get away from things, try and get some normality back. I mean, this is like over 100 days afterwards, I think, at this point. And they so they flew back and ended up, um, I think, getting some help from a guy called, I can't remember his name, actually. It, the, some businessman, anyway, tries to get involved and help some with like private flights and trying to get this investigation going using private investigation uh, companies as opposed to the actual police. And so they, they try and find some sort of support from him, don't they? He's like a, a millionaire, I think, is, is what? I think he sold like windows or something. I think it was something <laughs> double glazing windows, something like that. Made a few million uh, quid. That window in the apartment could have done with double glazing. Maybe we good would be point. here right now, to be fair. But yeah, no, and I don't think it, it looked good uh, optically that they had PR people on the scene because that makes it look like a very smooth operation. And it kind of, it reduces the kind of um, relatability factor that I think people at home could have to it, couldn't it? It's kind of like, look at them. And they they swanned off to see the Pope on uh, Sir Philip Green's private jet. And obviously Philip Green is the businessman behind uh, British home stores and top man and top shop. And he was funneling tax here, there and everywhere. But the optics of them on a seedy businessman's private jet flying off to see the Pope and whatever, just kind of, I think... It served to remind people that, yeah, maybe they're not exactly kind of kind of like you. And I think especially comparing that to other missing kids cases where Philip Green isn't coming forward and saying, oh, you know, use the private jet to go see the Pope or whatever. Like it, it, it does rankle a bit and stick in the throat because you think, yeah, this is terrible. And, you know, I think at first you think, what if this happened to my kids? This is horrible. But then you start thinking, if this happened to my kids they probably get the treatment that 99% of the missing kids get rather than this 1%. It started to become it started to become less relatable, didn't it, when you start yeah. having, like, millionaires, and in the case of Sir Philip Green, um, billionaires get involved and start offering, like, yeah. private jets and stuff. I mean, it makes logistical sense them to be able to fly around much easier and that kind of thing without the press. And, but it, it does come across to some people as, mm-hmm. oh, they're getting their privilege, they're getting like a special treatment. And these other cases, think of all these other treatments uh, that these other parents have had, and it's just not not consistent. And so it, again, rub people up the wrong way and got spun in the media like that against the McCanns. It came to a point where the case began to die down a little bit. There were interesting people, there were people coming forward to do his sightings and that kind of thing around that time. And in sort of the weeks prior or the days prior, some interesting sightings in this area uh, around this time, people coming forward and, and saying that they'd seen some strange people about. Another, uh, one sighting of a man a week before the, the McCanns arrived, collecting money for an orphanage uh, with three British kids in. Now, there's apparently no orphanage, uh, orphanage in the area, and why would there be three British kids in it? Why? Why that makes literally no sense in Portugal. It makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, there was this same guy apparently was just generally hanging round kids on the beach and uh, looking at kids. And there was another man collecting money. Were these people con men? Were they scouting for kids? Was there an actual orphanage? Although it sounds like there probably wasn't in the area. Or were these people scouting to, you know, steal things or steal you know, children from people? It, it's really interesting. There does seem to be like a lot of interesting characters in the area, shall we say? Yeah, exactly. And like I said earlier, it's not something you really think about when you're going on holiday somewhere, is it? Because it only ever becomes relevant if something seedy actually happens. But yeah, the orphanage thing I, I read about as well, and I think that's obviously 
a lie because I think that the, the, there was a, a scam in the sense that they said that there's an orphanage in a nearby village called whatever, can't remember the name. And obviously that's easily disproven. There isn't an orphanage in this little village anyway. So that was a scam. But what is the intent? Is the intent to scam people of money? Um, and I think in that case, it would make sense for them to say, oh, yeah, there's three British kids in there because you, you're stood trying to get money off a British holiday maker, you know, and they think, oh, British kids out in Portugal without any parents. That is that is bad. We're British. They're British. You know, could you imagine? So I do think that that makes sense. But also it's very likely that there was an ulterior motive in the sense that are you scouting out which holiday makers have kids, where they're staying? Are you trying to get a cheeky look into the layout of the apartment behind them? Because when you, when it's, it's very invasive to knock on somebody's door and, you know, maybe somebody should tell the Jehovah's Witnesses that um, <laughs> had them have them around this week. But yeah, but, I, you know, are you trying to kind of worm your way in to the, to the apartment, have a, have a chat or something? Get, is that to get money? Is it to get a look around the apartment? Is it to see if they've got kids? They're both bad, but there's a sliding scale, isn't there? And I mean, scamming people of money pales in comparison to, to what potentially could have been going down here. Yeah, exactly. And um, one, of the, one of the interesting things is there was one incident where the man comes to the door but looks interested in the child. He then comes back another day and is inside the home with the three-year-old. I mean, imagine being on holiday. And there was a British family, a guy that's, you know, come to the door the previous day. You're, he's then in your holiday home, in your villa, talking to your child the next day. How weird is that? How has he got in? Who is this guy? Apparently, he just he runs off or something like that. And, like those kind of things are really, really freak. I mean, one of them, I think in the documentary, there was a guy, another, um, I think another sort of sighting or suspicious thing that was brought forward. And apparently a guy had gone in the middle of the night and sat by the bed of, of the kids in like a, a medical mask and apparently gone in and sat by, by the side of the kids. So there were some weird sightings, weird things going on in the area. And that was like, I think in the week or so before that Madeleine McCann went missing. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know about that. And that is obviously unspeakably weird. And I think it goes beyond just wanting money at that point, doesn't it? Because there seems to be, there's always a kid involved. It's always mm. like, what? but why are people not locking their doors? I mean, if there's no signs of breaking in and this guy is just sat there with a three-year-old kid or something. Yeah, but I'm also that people talk on holiday. Like I'm sure if that went down in a resort that I was staying in, because you've got nothing else to do, nothing else to talk about, nothing else to occupy your time with, surely you'd hear about these goings on and think, you know, and maybe the holiday rep out there or somebody would say, by the way, we've had, if it's not burglaries, it's nonces on the loose or whatever, weird goings on, like be extra vigilant. But obviously in this case, nobody was. Everybody was in kind of relaxed mode, even if you're finding a somebody that's scamming for money or for, god knows what in your apartment yeah everyone know. seems very very off guard don't they on this holiday which yeah. i appreciate in on holiday you are a bit more relaxed you have it more chilled out you know the, the drinks are flowing a little bit but i do draw a line at letting strangers into my homes do you know what i mean like I, I think as a general rule of thumb i like to lock the door just generally yeah and i sorry as well as well like i said earlier like you're relaxed when you're on holiday that's true but also you are in unfamiliar surroundings so it's not as if you're kind of leaving your door unlocked like people in the that were around in the 50s and 60s. I'm not sure we have many listeners of that age, but you speak to somebody from speak to somebody, you know the demographics better than I do, but uh speak to somebody that, that was around back then and they lament about the fact that you can't leave your door open now, but back then you could because you could trust everybody and 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 whatever. Um but abroad in unfamiliar surroundings, not knowing what's what, I think I, I suspect that he'd be on guard. Maybe this case has acted 
as uh, like a rocket of the backsides of everybody in terms of especially when they're on holiday keeping their kids extra extra close and, and things like that such as the the magnitude of this case right and everybody knows about it you know i'm sure that some people haven't even been to portugal because they've thought you know since you know that's where money went missing type thing you know yeah they've lost your tourism that's for sure but as time went on and the case sort of died down a little bit they did start to get a few leads here and there there was one lead uh, which was some intelligence uh, i think through the dark web um where basically Apparently, there's a pedo ring in Belgium that ordered a young girl three days before Madeline was taken. Somebody connected to the group saw, um, may have seen Madeline, perhaps. Like, this is a theory that they may have seen Madeline, taken a picture, sent it to this group, which they, they know for a fact uh, is operating in Belgium and know for a fact that did order a child three days before. And perhaps then the transaction was done and then they committed to taking the child as part of this order. But I do think that would be. A little bit unusual if you if you're ordering a child in belgium i'm not an expert in this but you know i imagine if you're ordering a child in belgium would you go to the length of getting one from portugal would you probably get a little bit closer and i appreciate it's on the continent and it's all like connected but it's still a bit of a drive isn't it? it's a bit of a trek up there if we're thinking yeah. practically british kids for british pedos i say yeah That's what I, I keep it local um no i'm not sure how these things work either to be honest and i don't know whether it's a case of there's people I imagine out there that are trained or that, that, that specialize in snatching kids and you might have a network of these or whatever. And you say, Oh, we've got X and Y and oh, he's in pride. Z oh, as well. Don't not Z out. Z, not Ed, Z. Um, you know, he's in Pride Delusion, he's in blah, 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 blah. But I imagine they're quite few and far between. So I imagine maybe there's not much choice, maybe. And I think, oh, well, you know, the timing here is kind of uh, right as well in terms of, oh, well, we'll get that one in, 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 in Portugal then or something well, like that. Well, apparently it's a $150 billion uh, a year enterprise. $150 billion. I mean, this is big. This is big and it's going on in the shadows. It's something that you don't think about and I can't remember. It must have been in the back when I watched the documentary when it first came out of, yeah, people sneaking pictures of kids on beaches when they're in a swimming costume or, or something and then putting them on these these forums but i mean if if this case shows anything it shows that it is it's possible to do that and, and pull it off because it has been done yeah. so somebody make a picture or something of say madeline mccann on a beach or by the pool or whatever and it's been stuck on one of these forums and some somebody in belgium has been like yeah i'll, I'll, I'll pay that i'll pay whatever for that or whatever and then it's done it's possible and it has been done and i think in this case i think that's you know logically i think that's what's happened isn't it yeah um, and there's there's other interesting stories as well that, that eventually came to light like for example on 2 a.m uh in on the on same night as madeline went uh went missing a woman in barcelona approached a man asking have you come to deliver my new daughter have you got the child she asked three times before leaving. Apparently she was maybe English or maybe an Aussie accent, but she came up to this man and this man came forward <laughs> to tell the police about this. This was only found out apparently a year later or something like that. This was only brought to light, but that was on the same night that, that she went missing. So things like that, even, even if that doesn't have any link to Madeleine McCann, let's say, which it might, it might not, it probably won't to be honest, but even if that doesn't have any link, to have a woman going, have you come to deliver my new daughter in, when she's in Barcelona? I mean, just saying that at all in general is a bit strange, but, you know, it's a very, very unusual thing to happen, isn't it? 
Yeah, I'm not sure um, the circumstances there, because even if you can't biologically have a child, then there are valid ways of, of going about procuring a child, aren't they, that, that don't involve stealing somebody else's. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. And the fact that it's 150, $150 billion a year yeah. industry shows that it's very, very common and that there's a lot of money to be made out of it as well for, for people, you know, if you're if you're if you've got about you to be one of those people that can and would do something like that. And I'm surprised that there's such a demand from it, especially from women. That this sounds to me like that's somebody that can't have a child or something, something like that. So why, why is your, 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 you know, your first port of call to snatch somebody else's as opposed to adopt from, you know, an orphanage or, or grow one in a lab or something. Do you know what I mean? There's lots possible of options. These days. It's possible these days. One, one thing I thought was interesting is obviously we've said the $150 billion figure. It sort of links to the Jeffrey Epstein thing a little bit here. We've, we've heard from evidence and things that have been said around that case that he would <coughs> brag about delivering uh, twin, I think they were like French twins, three-year-old twins or something like that to a friend. He was overheard bragging about that. And so these things are happening and they're happening at scale across the world by the sounds of it. And clearly with, with it being a $150 billion industry. And it does make you wonder how many of how many similar islands to Jeffrey Epstein there are. There's rumours that there's one in the Mediterranean. Could that have perhaps been one that Maddie went to or something like that? Apparently there's these sort of islands around the world in different locations. So it, do, it does make you wonder like how much of a big at scale operation some of these things are as well, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's something we'll never know because I think the nature of it to, to perpetuate it, the nature of it needs to be secretive, doesn't it, obviously? So that's why it happens on the, the dark web, which is always something that's really confused me, the dark web, because I'm not sure how why some people have access to it and some people don't. And it's not something I've ever kind of looked into, we ever needed to look into. Yeah, I don't think you need to, to be honest, unless you're into that. I, mean, I would like to distance myself from the dark web. I'm taking this opportunity to distance myself from that. But like, everybody knows that it exists for secret kind of stuff. So surely the authorities know it exists and surely they're on there and, you know, they're stopping guns being sold and, and things like I don't know how it works. I, I'd love to do some reading up about that and uh, do a podcast on that because I'm, I have no idea. If there's anybody out there that knows more about it than I do, you know, you, drop just a comment clear, or something. You, you don't want access to it. You're just, you just want information <laughs> about it is what you're saying. I'm advertising for a position of a dark web advisor. That's what advisor. I that's what I need at the minute, I think. How do I set um, up? Do I, how do I get an account? Like a login or something? I'm yeah. Not sure. What would your username be? <laughs> Toby Hurst. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Makes Four sense. Nine. Underscore. Again, underscore. <laughs> um, so the Met Police begin investigating themselves uh, four years later. So they begin to review the case. Um, this Jane Tanner sighting was likely to have been another family getting a child from the, is it creche they call it or something like that, which to yes. me seemed like the obvious and logical thing in the first place. Like if you think yeah. about it, like they, they decided not to use that because it didn't fit in with the children's regular schedules or something like that. They decided against having people look after the children for them uh, and decided that to put them in the room obviously by themselves. But it seems pretty obvious to me that at that time, when that crash or whatever it was called ends, that you, you begin to see parents walking back to their apartments with kids. Like, yeah, that's sort of pretty common knowledge. And he was coming from that direction. So, yeah, it probably was. And I think they ended up actually finding the guy, oh, which they I... thought it, it was. It wasn't an egg with hair, actually. It looks a bit different. <laughs> Surprising. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly that. They found the guy and there's a match on the in terms of the pajamas that the kid was wearing or whatever. I think it's only a few years after though, to be fair. Yeah. This guy realized um that he was indeed the egg with hair, which is a, a wonderful kind of realization that I'm sure he had. And uh I'd love to see a picture of him side by side with that e-fit because I know for a fact I haven't seen him, but I know for a fact he looked nothing like it. <laughs> he had eyes for a starting point. So, you know. <laughs> But yeah, imagine that's that's a claim to fame, isn't it? I was the egg with hair in the Madeline McCann case. It? I was the e fit in the the Manny McCann case. Yeah. Yeah. But there's there's lots of like suspicious sightings and that kind of thing. Some of which are just seem a bit ridiculous, and others are just sort of I think trying to put two and two together. Like there was one family I think that uh, were in Morocco or something at a petrol station, and it, they overheard a child saying, "When am I going to see mummy?" or something like that, and they went, "Oh." That could be Madeline McCann, and only in hindsight did they then think to report or something like that. And it's like could have just been the dad, and you know, taking a kid to, to see their mum or something. I mean, not everything's Madeline McCann, but it did become like that. I remember very early on in YouTube, um, seeing YouTube videos, and it was just like a PowerPoint presentation on almost like on a video, just going through like potential sightings of Madeline McCann. I remember that's a very early memory I, I have as a kid of an early YouTube video, which was just pictures from around the world of these sightings, like here she is in China or here she is in Tunisia, you know, like that kind of thing. I remember seeing one of those videos very early on. So there was a lot of interest and people were taking pictures on the holidays of kids and being like, this might be Madeline McCann. It's, she got brown hair which or something. Looks- Looks suspect as it is, doesn't yeah. it? If you're Let's look into them whilst we're at it. That's what the extra yeah, funding was for. Can we check their hard drive? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do remember uh, vividly being on holiday in a, it was like a Spanish resort in the south of Spain near the Portuguese border around the time uh, she went missing. I think it was about maybe a month, two months after. And we had the Guardia Civil. Spanish police. Spanish. I did actually didn't need to say that. I could have just said you Spanish didn't. police, uh, and I definitely pronounced it wrong as well. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's yeah. a double bubble here. But somebody that in a previous podcast has ranted about somebody going to a tapas restaurant and ordering in uh, in Spanish. I am a hypocrite. But do you remember the Spanish police crawling through that resort looking for Maddie? I don't think she was there. Didn't bump into her in the kids' club either. Didn't you? Um, on that caravan site. No, no. Pedos. You were made an Al Guido. <laughs> I had the Portuguese police banging at my door. I did. Um, no funny features on my face, though. I don't have a funny eye or a hook for a hand or whatever they look no. for in, in suspects out in Portugal. So, luckily, my dashing good looks when I was wow. eight or nine, mm. um, I got away with it. It's good of you. It's good of you. So then I think what what began to happen was basically that the case begins to die down over time a little bit. Uh, it gets a little bit more funding here and there. But I think we should now basically go on to the new information. I think we're pretty much at the point where we've, I think, pretty much gone over all the information that, that we have. So I think let's go over some of the, the newer stuff that's come out because the German police seem pretty convinced that they have found the person that took Madeleine McCann. And it's a suspect called Christian Björkner. That's the Perfect. You've, you've been practicing that one, haven't yeah. you? Because you've noticed he's got the umlaut on the U, so it's Buchner. Yeah, you've no, like, I like that in you. Fluent. So this is a heavily researched pod, is this, isn't it? Heavily yeah. researched pod. We're professionals. We wouldn't, like, wouldn't like to hurt the sensitivities of any other nation by butchering any pronunciations. Buchner, yeah. Exactly. So in 2020, they they basically announced that they thought Madeleine McCann was dead, which is a big statement to make. And particularly with the German police, they're not the sort of 
uh, police force to be sort of flipping about these things. They're probably going to only going to say things if they genuinely believe that to be true. But I, I also part of me thinks, well, this was 2020. This is 13 years later. I could have probably told you she was dead. Do you know what I mean, I, I could have probably gone in there and said that. But it sounds like they might have some information or might have collected some files or something on hard drives, but they've not released everything. But they, they say that they're very confident that she's no longer with us and it's this suspect. Yeah, it's something that's a conclusion that I actually remember reaching on the playground in primary school when we were talking about this case. I don't know whether it was around the same time or a year, it must have been a year after or something like that. But I do remember having a gossip about it on the playground when I was in year five or six. And I reached the same conclusion that the German police reached 11 years after that. So Mm -hmm. it's nice that they're playing catch up. And it's also nice that they've actually managed to go one step further than I have and actually attach a suspect to it. That Mm -hmm. sounds pretty concrete. It sounds like Uh, you were a young Sherlock Holmes there. You know, impressive. No flies on me back then, I'm telling you. Uh, Yeah, I I knew it. I knew it from the off. I feel like it it became fairly obvious. And I think because she had all those defining features and because the media attention, that it it was pretty obvious. But um, it was good that the, the German police have attached... Christian Bruckner's name to it. And I think the the, the stars aligned with, with this one. It came out of nowhere. Um, and it does kind of seem to me to be quite actually, you know, quite a credible kind of theory for the first mm-hmm. time in the history of this case. Because there's been plenty of theories and plenty of suspects and they've all fallen down. But with this one, he was in the area, he's in the Algarve in Pride de Luge at that time, living in a battered camper van. So there's his kind of uh, Edo characteristic. Alarm bells are ringing. Yep, it was a battered VW camper van. But then there were things like the day after it happened, um, his car was registered to an o- a new owner, like the day after it happened. And he it was told a Jag, wasn't it, or something? Like, jag, yeah, it was a Jag, so um, not bad. Must have been earning, earning a fresh whip, German whip. Well, yeah, yeah. German he whip. probably robbed it. He was, was into all that, wasn't he? <laughs> and obviously the night before uh, Madeline went missing, uh, Christian Bruckner had a conversation with his girlfriend in which he said, I have a job to do in Praia de Luz tomorrow. It's a horrible job, but it's something I have to do and it will change my life. You won't be seeing me for a while, which does sound rather ominous. It does sound a bit suspicious. I'd not actually heard that quote until uh, until you said before. I'd not heard anything about that, but it does. It's not, you know, he might be going for a job interview or something. You never know. But I think it's it's more likely that it was something more serious. You know, it does sound like a I crime that he was going to commit. Do you know what I mean? And so I guess that, that sort of makes a bit of sense. But the guy did also have a lot of convictions for um, burglary, um, for even more serious crimes than that, sex offences, that kind of thing. And so I think he is locked up still at the moment, but obviously not related to Madeleine McCann. Um, but I just think it's very interesting that he was released from prison, I think, in December 2006, and I think prior to that, I'd told a friend to clear out the place that he was staying. And so loads of like uh, files and um, hard drives got removed from that uh, before he got let out. I, I think they were trying to investigate him for, for other things as well. And so he told a friend just to clear out his place. He uh, does strike me as a bit of a strange guy. He had things like um, they found like children's swim, swimming costumes in one of his uh, vans or something like that. He had loads of different properties. I don't know where he's getting this money from. By the way, this is suspicious. Was he selling kids to people or something? Or because where was he getting this money from? He had loads of properties. Like I said, he had a jag. I mean, he's doing all right. I think that, that's what it sounds like to me, especially with, you know, because that uh, the, the phrase that he said to his, his girlfriend first to having a, a job to do uh, in Pride Delusion tomorrow doesn't necessarily sound like something he's doing for pleasure, but rather he maybe gets some pleasure out of it. But it's he's been paid for it by somebody. And will very likely, I think, 
I think we'll find out who's at the top of this um, because I think the German police are investigating a 30-minute phone call he had on the day of Madeleine's abduction with a number. So they're following that lead, I think, at the minute, like presently. So I think it's, just, it's a pretty fresh kind of, kind of news, but there was a 30-minute phone call on the day that she went missing from a number um, on the phone. And that number, which they found to be his, they triangulated it and were found the location was literally right outside their uh, apartment or right on the street outside their apartment. So he was in the area. We know that as well. So again, things are starting to be put into place here. One thing I think is interesting is some of the other crimes that he committed, the horrific crimes that he committed, not just burglary, that kind of thing, but the sex crimes that he committed on like a 72-year-old woman. He filmed these crimes as well. Now, when you film something like that, usually one or two things, it's because you keep it for yourself or you're disrooting it for other people. And if you disrooting it for other people, you're going to make a few quid from that, I, I imagine. Again, no inside knowledge of this, but I imagine. So if he's filming these things, it probably means that he may well be selling them, making money that way, and that's sort of funding these, his lifestyle, basically. So again, these, these sorts of things start to fit into place at this point don't they yeah they do and i mean we spoke earlier about how much money is involved in this kind of industry if the, you know for want of a better word 150 billion uh dollars a year so it's a lot of money to be made from this and that's that's where the incentive for him to do this comes from and that's where it is why it also starts to make sense in terms of the lifestyle that he's living because otherwise he just worked as a repairman and a, and a janitor and he don't you're not able to buy a jag and have a property portfolio off the back of that and I think one of the most interesting things about this is that he did repair work at the, in the resort, the Ocean Club, where the McCanns were staying as well. So he's obviously sniffing around the scene and the, we've got the mobile phone triangulation as well uh, to prove that. And I think uh, some reports, and these are just reports, have said that he's openly admitted to friends that he did it. But I mean, whether that's the friends, you know, strong arming their way into it for a few quid by sending mm. a story to a paper, or whether it's somebody that, you know, is a, there's a paedophile who's got not much to lose anyway, being locked up anyway for a heinous crime, just kind of peacocking and being like, yeah, it was me that did it when they didn't actually do it. But I think with this one, and the German police seem confident as well, and they know more than we do, and they're looking into this number that called him for half an hour on the day, I think it does kind of it does kind of line up to him doing it, I feel. And I think he had a history also of um, burglaring, uh, being basically invade, going into holiday homes and villas. And he'd do this regularly, particularly targeting uh, tourists, British tourists and first floor windows. That's what he would target. Same with the McCann's first floor window. So there's, a, again, some more uh, links that can be connected there. But like, like I say, with that 72-year-old woman, which he, um, he, he actually tortured her basically over hours. I mean, it was absolutely horrific stuff. And he seemed to have a thing about children and the elderly, by the sounds of it, given the nature of the crimes. This woman didn't tell anybody. She felt too ashamed. And so uh, that I don't think was reported for some years later, which is probably why this has been string out so long, because so much information has come out so sporadically that it's sort of eventually filtered through to the police for the sounds of it. But like I say, a number of his properties were found to have pictures, videos and hard drives. And interestingly, the police were asked if any of these hard drives contained pictures of Madeleine McCann. And the police said, I'm not allowed to say if pictures are or aren't on there of Madeleine McCann. I'm not allowed to say. So he couldn't say either way. But it makes you wonder. They see a lot of pictures, a lot of videos. It makes you wonder if they're so certain about this, to pin it on him, that there may well have been some pictures or videos on these hard drives of her. Having said that, you would have thought that might lead to some uh, conviction. Uh, perhaps that's not enough evidence. Perhaps it is. I don't know. 
Um, but it's interesting that that has been said by their police. And like I say, they found swimsuits of little girls, um, reports of a drunk confession, like you said. It's suspected that a Ocean Club employee might have tipped him off about the reservation that the McCanns had. And so perhaps that's the phone call maybe that was made, something like that. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot here. Like he, he sounds like a man that's capable of doing something like this. So that's out of the question. He was in the area at the time. So circumstantially, that lines up. It's about whether there's any concrete kind of hard evidence. And I think I sit here thinking, I hope it is him. And I hope we have found who did it because I think it offers a lot of closure for the McCants and for everybody else that got caught up in it. And it's quite satisfying to see something, a case as notorious as this kind of brought to an end in a way. And oh, it was pinned on somebody and he did that. They wouldn't come out and say he did it if they didn't know for sure that he did it, I think. Yeah, um, it's they a seem... case of letting it play out, if that makes sense, and letting it go to court and things like that, maybe. They seem pretty confident about it, but I don't think they're that confident they'll convict him. That's that's the only thing. I think they've got enough sort of to suggest that it's highly likely it was him, but maybe not enough for, for a conviction. So maybe, I think the case is either... I don't know whether the funding's ended now, whether I think might be funding until the end of the year. I can't quite remember, um, but it's certainly coming to an end by the sounds of it. So I, I, it sort of suggests that they're probably not going to be able to get enough information now if, if it's being brought to an end, um, which is a real shame because eventually this guy's going to come out and perhaps he'll have, you know, um, perhaps he'll do more crimes and that kind of thing. But it really does seem quite likely that he was at least somewhat involved. To what extent, how much he did whether he killed her or just passed her on to somebody else is difficult to, to know. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts generally on the case? Do you think this is the most likely option? I think so too. And I think maybe we will never know for sure. Because I mean, in a couple of articles I read, he had been in prison saying that he fears for his life now that his name is out there on such a big scale. Because it's such a, like we said, the scale of the case is massive and it's so emotionally charged. And you know, what, what happens to people like that in prison, you know, that have a target on their backs, then they don't tend to last very long so whether it's a case of him being brutally you know battered in, in in prison and we never find out what goes on or whether it's a deathbed confession or whether the german police find a you know a smoking gun on his one of his hard drives or whatever whatever i don't know but this is a man that the german police are convinced have done it that is capable of doing it because he's done similar things to early people and to kids in the past he was in the area at the time and he knew the hotel the resort pretty well um, so I think this does seem to be the most likely kind of kind of lead um, to me. But I can't blame people for, for suspecting the parents before this because it seemed that there was a lot of avenues that had been gone down before. And I think that blaming the parents served as a, a way of people to channel their anger at the negligence because mm. not for one minute did I ever think the parents were implicated, but I was. there's no doubt about the fact that there is negligence there and that they did things that I wouldn't have done with my child but it's easy to say that isn't it because I haven't been the one to make that mistake and they've got to deal with the guilt of it all yeah I, I agree I think it seems likely that it was this guy um I appreciate obviously some people probably think oh but they're just throwing someone out there so there's a face and a name and you know at least they can then they can bring the case to a close now because there's some name out there and I, I can understand <laughs> why some people might think that because you know why weren't they aware that this guy was in the area why is this name only just in the last few years been brought to light? Why was this not pretty obvious in like the year or so after the immediately after the disappearance? So I can kind of understand why some people will be a little bit, um, I guess, suspicious as, as to whether it was this guy or not. But I think there's just there's a lot of bits of evidence you can sort of pull together that kind of suggests 
I think this is probably the most likely scenario, and I think that's where I sort of stand with it. We can say they've pretty much solved the case, or they've come to at least a most likely situation. And I think that's pretty much everything that needs to be said on, on it, to be honest with you. I don't think there's any more information to add, um, but, but it does seem quite likely that Christian Bruchner was the man in his shabby um vw camper van to be fair it, was, it sounds like quite an idyllic lifestyle that he was he was leading in that shabby camper mm. van besides the snatching the kids and everything yeah and i think on that note we've pretty much solved the case along with the germans and we've pretty much done it united together and i think a very a successful return from you as well good, good to see you back are you going to come back next week or get me to sign a contract if 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 you need to i know i suppose you enjoy waffling on by yourself in those those one man shows i'm sure it feeds the ego but uh, i'm back to 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 share the stage with uh, i'd just like to apologize to the to the portuguese tourist board for for dredging this up again because when this goes viral we've dragged <laughs> portugal's name through the mud you know i know a couple of weeks ago you wound up the uh, michael jackson lovers i think we're going to be getting a bit of hate from portugal now <laughs> and there's also people similar to the people who um, think michael jackson's uh, innocent there's also people who will not like this podcast because we've not slammed the mccanns and said it was them so there's there's a, there's a whole group of people that think the mccanns said it as well so I'll be, I'll be interested to hear people's opinions in the comments. Let's just say that. Okay, get your thoughts in. Get them in, get them in, interact. Yeah. We do read them. We read them. We do. And don't forget to also hit the like button and subscribe as well. We're trying to hit 250 subs. So do help us out. Be part of the 250 fraternity. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next week with another podcast. Cheers. Next week. Oh, there we go. Done.